Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Election College, Episode 276, Thomas R. Marshall. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben, I'm sure everyone is excited for us to be talking about Thomas R. Marshall. The R meaning Riley. Thomas Riley Marshall was the 28th vice president of the United States, a.k.a. He was the vice president during the Woodrow Wilson administration. My goodness, Ben, we've been camping out here on Woodrow Wilson and his gang for a long time because I know I'm getting schooled when I read things about what happened during these years, but it's really a big deal because the role of the president and the presidency and everything that went along with it changed quite a bit because Wilson was that kind of guy. Yeah, it's definitely that time of our history where, you know, the president starts taking on a little more power. Nobody really fights it too much. You know, the the people and the times around them, I mean, we're after the Civil War at this point, but there's still a lot of that stuff lingering. And it's just a really interesting time in our nation's history, let alone in the government. Yeah. So our buddy, Thomas R. Marshall, we're going to delve into his life today. And, you know, this guy, he's an Indiana guy, no matter how you feel about that, which I live in Kentucky. So, you know, there's a little bit a little bit of a rivalry there. Yeah. But so Thomas Marshall's grandfather uh, was Riley Marshall. He came to Indiana in 1817 and settled on a farm and they discovered oil and natural gas on that there farm. And uh, he sold it for $25,000. That is a lot of money back then. And this money affords him and uh, the Marshall family to have quite the estate there in uh, what's now Whitley County, Indiana. And he is an active member of the Democratic Party there. Uh, He serves as a state senator, party chairman. He gives a lot of money and sends his son to medical school, uh, his son being Daniel. And that is Thomas's dad. So some money there on the dad's side. And then Martha Patterson, who was uh, Thomas's mom, uh, well, she was orphaned 
when she was 13 years old and uh, she lived in Ohio and she moved to Indiana with her sister uh, to be on a farm near where the Marshalls lived. So uh, there you go. You know, that's going to be love at first sight, right? You know, small town girl with no money, rich kid, and uh, very well connected. That sounds like a good deal on her part. Um, So they get hitched in 1848. So Thomas is born about six years later, and he's born in North Manchester, Indiana. A couple years later, a sister is born. She passes away as an infant. Uh, His mom contracted tuberculosis, and they think that's probably what caused his younger sister to pass away from, you know, being in bad health. And so they continue to move around and try to get into a different climate because that's what you did in the 1850s. You, if you had tuberculosis, you moved to a better climate. And so his mother is sick, so they're moving around. They first move over to Illinois, and uh, at this point, Thomas's father takes him to the Lincoln and Douglas debate in Freeport in 1858. And later on, he remembers, you know, recalls to people that he sat on the laps of both Stephen Douglas and Abraham Lincoln. And basically, if they weren't speaking, he was sitting on their lap. So whoever whoever was talking, he was on the other one's lap and vice versa. So it pays for your, uh, your grandfather, your dad uh, to be in politics, or I guess specifically your grandfather, but from that lineage, especially. They move to Kansas in 1859. Everything gets a little bit violent there on the frontier, and they move to Missouri in 1860. So quite a distance here, you know, from Indiana all the way to Missouri uh, over, you know, the course of a decade. And basically, they end up fixing Martha's disease, her tuberculosis. She no longer had tuberculosis. And uh, again, violence comes, bleeding Kansas stuff happens, and there's some guys that come to the house and they say, Hey, we really need to, you know, get some medical assistance down to these pro slavery folks. But Daniel Thomas's dad says, no, I'm not going to provide that kind of medical assistance. And they find out through some neighbors that maybe the people are going to come back and murder them, which is not a thing you want to happen. So they pack up everything really quickly and head back to Illinois. And then they head back to Indiana. So, they're getting further and further away from the South, but they're pretty much just back where they started. Yeah. Um, it reminds me kind of like the Forrest Gump thing, just reading about his life early on there, because, you know, they show up in all of these big scenes. Yeah. Like, who to thunk it, you know? Lincoln-Douglas debates, Bleeding Kansas, all the, all that stuff that's going on. And now the Marshall family, they're back in Indiana, back home in Indiana. If you're from Indiana, you'll get that. <laughs> uh, so... Um, Marshall goes to public school and his dad and grandfather get into a dispute with their minister because they refused to vote Republican in the 1862 election. The Methodist minister's like, dudes, you're going to be in this congregation. You need to vote Republican. And the Marshalls were like, uh, no, um, <laughs> Thomas Marshall's grandfather said that he would quote, take his risk on hell, but not the Republican party. This drives them out of Pearson. They go to Fort Wayne and convert to Presbyterianism because why not? That's what you do. That's that's right. (laughs) I'm sure we can have some sort of big theological discussion about about that, but maybe we should start a podcast that would be the religious viewpoints of politicians. I don't know. That'd be interesting. 
yeah, a little, a little bit more controversial. Yeah. Any, any, anyway, there they are. They're Presbyterians now <laughs> living in Fort Wayne. That sounds like a sitcom. <laughs> Presbyterians living in Fort Wayne. Uh, Marshall goes to high school, graduates in 1869. And what do you do when you graduate at the age of 15? And you're a guy and you live in Indiana. You go to Wabash College, which to this day is a very well-recognized school there in Indiana. Uh, his dad says, Hey, study medicine or become a minister. He's like, no, I don't think so. I'm just going to go undeclared. He does that. And what do you do when you're undeclared? You go to college and you start a democratic club. (laughs) Not really. So while he's in college, Marshall is of course, you know, involved in a lot of different things. He's in the Phi Gamma Delta fraternity and is very interested in debating societies and literary endeavors and things like that. Well, at one point he ends up getting elected to Phi Beta Kappa during his final year at college. And of course, Phi Beta Kappa is a pretty well-known and prestigious fraternity to be in. At some point in that time, he was part of a libel case, and he was actually there um, looking for a defense lawyer at one point. He ended up dropping the case and things like that, but he was very interested in law during that time, and he's looking around for somebody to teach him the ropes. And of course, the only way to become a lawyer in Indiana is to be an apprentice under somebody who is a member of the Indiana Bar Association. So he calls up Woodson Marshall, his great uncle, and says, hey, will you help me? But even though he's agreeable to that, he ends up moving to a different city, Columbia City, Indiana, and moves back in with his parents. And he ends up reading law there in the Columbia City Law Office and ends up later on, we'll talk about this in a minute, becomes part of the Indiana Supreme Court and gets admitted to the Indiana Bar in 1875. So opens up a law practice in Columbia City, taking on pretty much, you know, minor stuff, nothing too uh, huge, and gets a lot of those cases. Uh, Becomes a partner a few years later, and, well, wouldn't you know it, he's an attorney. He's going to someday be a politician. It just seems like the the natural progression of things. Well, of course. So in 1880, he runs for the first time as a Democratic candidate uh, for his district's prosecuting attorney. Now, If you know anything about Columbia City in the 1870s, you know that the Republicans are the party that's going to defeat everyone. And that's exactly what happened. The Republican won, but then he meets Kate Hooper, and the two become engaged, and then Kate dies in 1882, like one day before they were going to marry. So this, as you can imagine, was horrible. It drives Marshall to alcoholism. He goes back to his parents, lives with them. Uh, He's in his 30s, and his dad dies soon thereafter, and then his mom dies in 1894. So he's got the family estate, he's got their business, and he meets Lois Kimsey. And she's working as a clerk in her father's law firm. And they were 19 years separated, but they fall in love and they marry on October the 2nd, 1894. From this point forward, they are nearly inseparable. They are very much a happy couple. 
Now, things were all well and good until his alcoholism came back. And uh, does it ever go away? Uh, He rises through the ranks, but this alcoholism does come back. He does recover, but in 1908, he does run for governor of Indiana. And these issues of alcoholism, you know, can we trust this guy? They do become an issue in that gubernatorial election. So he is running for governor, and keep in mind, just a couple years prior, he had been invited through the party's nomination to run for Congress. He turns that down because he would rather run for Indiana governor in 1908. So a bunch of the different labor unions and uh, different things like that are behind him. They want him to be governor. Uh, He's still kind of a dark horse candidate at the convention when it comes around, and people are not supportive of him because he supports prohibition. So how do you like that? If, you, if you're running and you're used to be an alcoholic, people will turn you down. And if you're running and you're in support of prohibition, people will turn you down. Uh, but long and short is that he ended up getting the nomination and focuses his campaign for the governorship on temperance and prohibition, basically. And he's got a pretty progressive agenda. And he gets inaugurated as governor when he wins the election in 1909. So it's been a long time since the Democrats have been in power in the state. And his idea was just to appoint pretty much as many Democrats as possible as he could. And he doesn't really want to be terribly involved in the whole patronage system that's happening at the time. And well, still happening now. But he doesn't really get into the nitty-gritty of things. He lets the party kind of have a lot of their positions the way they want them, but he wants them to be Democrats is the the main thing for him. Indiana had recently passed some sterilization laws, some eugenics things, and he is very strongly opposed to that. He orders all the state institutions to ignore them, to not follow them. And he is opposed to those, you know, eugenics laws that are very popular at the time, uh, opposes those all the way into his vice presidency. While he's governor, you know, he not only cares about eugenics, but also about the death penalty. And during his time in office is the first tenure of someone where no executions by the state take place um, because he's opposed to capital punishment. He's more in favor of parting, commuting sentences and things like that. So he's very progressive, uh, especially for the time. One thing that becomes very important with the Indiana state government at this time in the history was that the state constitution of Indiana was going to be rewritten. And this becomes Marshall's central focus. The General Assembly, they're like, no, uh, let's not have a constitutional convention. Let's just kind of figure this thing out without doing that type of thing. We can we can kind of do things the way they've always been done. But what ends up happening is they do have a convention because the U.S. Constitution says your government needs to be open and it needs to be a Republican form of government. So you can't just like lock yourself in a room and figure out the Constitution. No, you need to involve the constituents. You need to, you know, do it the right way. So what ends up happening is they present this revised constitution to the General Assembly in 1911, and they submit it to the voters in the 1912 election. 
because you have Republicans saying, no, uh, we don't want to ratify this thing. And the Democrats saying, um, we want something completely different. Marshall's pretty frustrated with this. This actually goes to the U S Supreme court and the U S Supreme court's like, um, yep, you need a constitutional convention and you guys on both sides have done it very wrong. The big thing that happens out of this, though, is that the current Constitution in Indiana prevents Marshall from serving a second term. So he goes and makes plans to run for the U.S. Senate. But in 1912, in Baltimore, at the Democratic National Convention, his name is put forth as a person who should possibly run for president. Well, you've got William Jennings Bryan. And you've got some other people like Champ Clark who are all dickering here and there. And what ends up happening is Woodrow Wilson gets the nod to be the Democratic candidate. Well, what do you do when you're Woodrow Wilson and, you know, you've got these Southern ideals? You've got New Jersey where Wilson lived. Um, You don't have the Midwest, <laughs> so pick the Midwesterner, right? So that's exactly what happens. Even though Marshall didn't really care for Wilson, hey, it's a big chance to become the vice president. So he's like, sure, let's do it. Yeah, so of course they very easily win the 1912 election uh, because of the Republican Party and the Progressive Parties being split. And Marshall's like, you know what? I don't like you, Wilson. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you on, like, everything. Uh, He does get invited to a lot of the cabinet meetings and is ignored, basically. His ideas aren't really considered, and he basically just says, okay, well, if I'm just coming so you can look good, I'm not coming anymore. He, He quits coming. He's not really offended, though. He's just kind of, you know, irritated with it. And he basically says, well, my primary constitutional duty is to be in the Senate, and I'm going to do that job very well if I'm going to be here. And he doesn't really view the vice presidential job as the executive branch, but more as the legislative branch. And I think that's probably pretty true, uh, even today, is that the vice president is more in the, the legislature. Not He's not really an executive, at least in practice. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of different defi- things that happen during uh, this time including the Mexican border crisis in 1916. And there's, you know, all sorts of raucous behavior and people actually to, I think maybe rioting is a word that's slightly too far, but I mean, it gets pretty close. And Marshall pretty much uh, threatens that he's going to kick people out if they keep it up. So Marshall is like a funny guy. He He's humorous. He is, it's hard to take him seriously, but the newspapers love him because they give him something to write about, and they can even use some of his jokes in uh, their little comics that they put in that they write up. And the Democratic Party says, look, he's a he's a clown. Nobody respects him. Let's get him off the 1916 re-election ticket. So Wilson decides that he wants to keep him on the ticket because it really helps demonstrate the, the party unity. And in 1916... They win again, and he becomes the first vice president that gets reelected since 1828. And even before that, the first president and vice president seemed to be re- reelected, period, uh, together was in 1820. 
Now, just to back up a little bit, in July of 1915, Marshall becomes the object of an assassination attempt. You've got this guy uh, named Eric Munter, and he was a professor, believe it or not, of German uh, at Harvard and Cornell at different times, of course. But he was very much opposed to the U.S. getting involved in the world war that was going on. And he breaks into the Senate chambers, uh, finds the door uh, to be locked. He lays dynamite outside the reception room. And uh, that's actually right next door to Marshall's office door. The bomb is set with a timer, explodes prematurely just before midnight. Nobody was in the office. And thankfully, nobody was injured. But this is actually the only time that there's an assassination attempt made on a sitting vice president. Huh. Interesting. Munter later basically says, yeah, it was me that was trying to assassinate the vice president. He had gotten caught because he went to Jack Morgan, who's the son of J.P. Morgan, and says, hey, stop the sale of all these weapons to the Allies. I'm tired of this war effort, etc. And he gets caught and confesses and everything. And I guess Marshall had pretty much been receiving a lot of death threats up to that point, but he basically just assumed that they were all fake or anonymous or whatever, so he throws them away. Uh, he said that he didn't notify the Secret Service about the letters, but he was pretty startled when he heard the explosion uh, at the Capitol. I can imagine, you know, being coming in, you know, maybe it was a Friday night, everybody comes in on Monday morning and realizes part of the building's blown up. Well, that's probably a little bit startling, I'd say. Yeah, I would say so. I would imagine we don't have that kind of security issue anymore, but... <laughs> I think it's probably pretty uh, hard to sneak dynamite into the Capitol at this point. Yeah. There's a lot more to say about Thomas Marshall, and, well, we're going to turn this thing into two episodes because that's what cousins do when they're sitting around the kitty table. And other things that cousins do when they sit around the kitty table and they're not together is they go on Facebook and they hang out. And that's exactly what Ben and I... Uh, have started on Facebook. It's kind of like a virtual kitty table. It's the Election College group. If you go to electioncollege.com slash group, you can hang out with us. I know, very exciting. And other people who are kind of like you. We normally give you five or six things at the end of every episode that we want you to do. This week, it's just about the Facebook group. So head on over there to electioncollege.com slash group. If you join the group, we won't even ask you for a review this week. And speaking of hanging around the kitty table with our cousins, uh, we had a contest this week and we drew for a winner of a pair of fashionable socks. And um, trust me, they're a new pair. And the winner of the socks this week is Patrick Weissend. Uh, Patrick, congratulations. You have won a pair of Lincoln socks because you voted Lincoln. Woo! Congrats. And uh, make sure to check out that group for all sorts of contests and interesting things that are happening there, interesting articles, discussions, etc. We'd love to see you around. Yeah, and speaking of seeing you around, yeah, we'll see you around. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>